Well, hello everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. What a great day to be in church, right? Anyone? Do you love coming to church? Oh, kind of. Do you love coming to church, folks? You do, right? Okay, I'm glad. Well, hey, listen, uh, if it is your first Sunday here, uh, we are so glad that you are here. You picked a great one to come. Good job for you. If you're on vacation right now uh, and you are watching online, we are so glad that you can enjoy that time. And to all of our friends at the Madison County Correctional Facility, we are so glad that you can be joining as well. But it is a great Sunday to be here. It's a great Sunday if it's your first Sunday because we are actually kicking off a new series entitled Heaven on earth. So we're in week one on this, but let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, have you ever said, oh, this is heaven on earth? Has anyone ever felt that way? Maybe, maybe it's like you just get take the first bite of like a really well-cooked like tenderloin steak with some chantilly potatoes, and you just you eat that first, but like, man, this is heaven on earth. Or maybe, maybe you have a favorite vacation destination. Maybe you're there right now, and uh, maybe you have that place, whether it's by the beach, you're in like a little beach here, the sound of the ocean waves crashing, or maybe you're up in the mountains, and you're just looking out at the, this vast expanse, or maybe you're someone who likes to be in the woods, where it's really quiet, and you have a little fire crackling away, and you say to yourself, man, this is heaven on earth. Earth, or maybe you're a simple person. Maybe you're just, you're at home. You're at home, you have your spouse, you have your kids, everyone's getting along. It's a game night, it's a movie night, and you just look around at all that God has given you and say, man, this is heaven on earth. And so I don't know what it is for you, but, but did you know this, that phones are crazy sometimes, and here's why. Because I was preparing for this message all week long, and so, you know, I'm saying heaven on earth a lot, right? And so I was on Instagram one day, and I was scrolling, and one of the suggested accounts that Instagram suggested that I follow was this account right here. It was, it's called at, oh, the anticipation is building. You know, I'll turn it off. And, oh, there we go. At heaven. Now, I don't know if God's trying to communicate something to me, but I don't think that's how it works, actually. Uh, but the, the bio here in the caption says, find your heaven on earth, which is scary, folks, because, like, why would it know this about my life? I swear these things listen to you, but that's okay. Point is, all of the videos, all of the videos of these beautiful places that you can see on the planet, these beautiful places that people would say are heaven on earth. And so here's what I want everyone to do. Whether you're online, not if you're listening in the car, but if you're online and you're stable and you're here in the room, I want everyone to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Go ahead. Do it. I can see if you don't, so might as well do it. Go ahead and close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. Now I want you to picture, with your eyes closed, your heaven on earth. Has everyone got it? Okay, now open your eyes. Now, who was just picturing Sunday morning at Crossroads Church? Show of hands. Anyone? No one? Okay, see, so this is why we need this series. Okay, so here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're trying to do. I want us to answer this question throughout the series. Okay, the question is, what would it look like to make Sunday morning at Crossroads Community Church heaven on earth? What would that look like? Because I believe that the answer to this question is found in the life and in the teaching of Jesus Christ. That if we all committed our lives to following after Jesus and becoming more like him, that over time our church, as the body of Christ, would look more and more like him. And as that happens and we come together on Sunday mornings, we will look more and more like heaven. Because here's what I think is true. We are all created to desire heaven. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 
that God has written eternity on every person's heart. Everyone wants heaven. Everyone's looking for it. Everyone wants to know how to get it, but few people actually find it. And I'll tell you two times uh, when I feel like personally in my life that there are just these places that I feel like I experience or have experienced heaven on earth. Okay, the first one is this. Uh, Saranac Young Life Village, okay, Saranac Young Life Camp, both when I was a camper there in high school to when I served there on staff in college to when uh, I would lead groups of high schoolers there on summer camp. And here's why. First of all, it is beautiful, okay, so there's some pictures of just the beautiful creation that God has set up there and created Saranac. It's a gorgeous place, and so often I'll be there, and I'll be doing a quiet time, and it's really nice, and I'm looking out but if I'm leading or if I'm a camper, or no matter what I'm doing there, usually physically I'm in tough shape, okay? Usually I'm exhausted, I'm sleep deprived, I got some kind of injury going on from the day before, and so physically I'm pretty unwell. But I'll be out there and I'll be looking at this and I will feel so good emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And even though like physically I'm not doing great, I look out at everything around me and it feels like heaven on earth. But it's not just because of how beautiful it is when it comes to the scenery. It's also because you look around and you see all of these people. You see all of the staff, you see all of the leaders, and, and you see all the campers who are leading other campers, and you, you see these people who are sacrificing so much. They're sacrificing their bodies. They're sacrificing their sleep. They're sacrificing vacation days. They're sacrificing higher paying jobs their entire summers all to create an experience for every person who's on that camp to come into the presence of God, whether you're near from him or you're far from him. They sing songs, they eat food, they have deep, meaningful, and vulnerable conversations with people they've known for 20 years and people they've known for six hours. And it feels like heaven on earth because it's all pointing to something greater. It's all pointing to the message of the gospel. And when people encounter that, people have their lives changed. And people's faith is built on these things. That this is actually what heaven on earth looks like. And I believe that we as a church, when we come together on Sunday morning, can create an experience that will feel like heaven on earth for anyone who comes and experiences it. And the second place that I also felt like I have experienced heaven on earth was last year at Passion 2022 in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 60,000 people sell out this giant dome, and there was a moment, and here it comes, there was a moment when we were all singing The Blessing by Carrie Job, right? And, and so you've heard that song? If maybe you haven't, go listen to it. I'm going to ruin it for you right now, though. So no instruments, just everyone in that stadium singing this one word. Help me out, folks. Amen. Uh, I don't like to sing. You know that. Okay, so yeah. When people just singing amen over and over and over again in the sound, just filling up the room, and you look around, and everyone is just so genuinely worshiping their Father in heaven, singing amen, and it felt like heaven on earth. And so here's the question that's probably on all of your minds right now. Okay, Cooper, but how? How? How do we do this? And you may be surprised to hear this, and you may not be, but the answer is Jesus. Okay? Jesus is how. We do it by beginning to love one another like Jesus, and we begin to love others like Jesus. We begin to live as Jesus lives. We begin to live as Jesus taught. 
And do you want to know why so few people in the world live their lives like Jesus? Because living like Jesus is hard. It's hard if you have made him your Lord and Savior. It's hard if you have committed your life to following after him. It's still hard. Even if you've made him the king of your whole life, it's hard. But if you haven't done that, and if you have refused to surrender control of your life to him, if you have refused to believe that he is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is your Savior, that he died for your sins because we all have a sin problem, and it's a problem that we can't deal with on our own because we're imperfect, so Jesus died on the cross, and instead of heaven on earth, he experienced hell on earth. When he became sin on the cross and was separated in relationship from his Father in heaven for the only time in history until he died. But that he didn't stay dead. That three days later he was raised back to life defeating sin and death. And if you refuse to believe those things, it's not just hard to follow Jesus. It's actually impossible. And that's not a challenge. This is just a fact. And here's the thing. It's because when you believe in those things, truly, when you believe in those things in your heart and you realize your need for grace and for mercy in your life and you receive the free gift of salvation, what you are receiving is the Holy Spirit into your life to wash you clean of your sins from your past and all of the sins from your, in your future. And then the Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus in heaven who connects you to your loving heavenly Father. But remember last week we talked about this word holy, right? And, and to, to be holy means to be set apart for God's use in achieving his purposes. Why must we be set apart? Because God is holy. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly perfect. If we are to be like God to be used by him, we ourselves must be set apart from the rest of the world. But we can't be like God just because we want to be like God. We need God to help us to do so. And the Holy Spirit is God dwelling within us to help us to become more holy, to become more like Jesus. So here's a question. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? And that's not a trick question. He's been around for all of eternity. He is God. But he came down to dwell inside of us from heaven, and Jesus is the one who sent him. Look at what Jesus says in John. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Why could it be good that Jesus goes away? Because Jesus would say, unless I go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, our helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to help us live like him. So now you have a piece of heaven. You have a heavenly being dwelling inside of you. Do you ever stop to think about that? That's some crazy stuff. Yeah, it sounds kind of weird, but it's crazy. It's true. Because when we submit to the Holy Spirit, that's how our church will begin to look more like heaven on earth. And that's what I think people are looking for. People watch the news and they scroll through social media and it doesn't look like heaven. People are constantly, they're taking vacations and they're trying to get away and they're trying to manufacture experiences to try and experience their own kind of heaven. But as the Apostle Paul would say, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human 
approval. Now listen, taking vacations is a great thing, and you should do that for sure, especially if you're on vacation right now. This isn't for you, but I saw But heaven on earth is deeper than that. We've all taken vacations, and they have not been peaceful or joyful or righteous, and maybe I'm muted right now in the car because things are going down, and that's fine. But the point is, it's not eating and drinking. It's not this sense of revelry, right? But, but it's living by the Spirit. And when we do, we will both please God as well as we will even be what other people want. They will see it and they will want it themselves. Because when we do that, we will start to see this church. We will start to see this house built here at Crossroads. We will see it be a house built like heaven. And that's where people want to be. And so the title of my message today is, A House Built Like Heaven. So in order to begin to see what it looks like to experience heaven on earth, we are going to finish Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to continue to make our way through the Gospel of Matthew until we finish it, okay? But that means that today, all right, everybody say you're crazy. I appreciate that. It's encouraging. But here's the thing. I am a bit crazy. Because today, we are actually going to go through Matthew's chapters 6 and 7. So that's a lot, okay? Because every section in these chapters probably deserves its own series. Okay? This is some of the most helpful, life-applicable teaching. So if it feels like it's getting long, this is good stuff. Okay? So don't lose it on me. Ride that energy from the beginning. Here we go. Because I believe that if we can apply these different teachings to our lives and we commit to them that as a church, we will begin to look like heaven on earth. And so here's the thing. Some of the things that Jesus is going to be talking about, the Jews, they were already doing at the time. It had become a part of their religious practices, but they were only doing them to appear as godly to others. Or honestly, they were doing it to appear as being better at being godly than others. And then behind closed doors... They were not in any way living in a godly way. So when you see those who claim to follow God and who act like they follow God and they live one way in this setting and then they go to another setting and they live a completely different way, you call them a hypocrite. That's right, yes. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they were saying and doing all the right things, but they were not living in a right way. They were hypocrites. And here's something I think we can often miss in the Gospels when it comes to Jesus as followers of Jesus. Because it's something we can so easily fall into ourselves. It's the fact that Jesus was extremely loving and accepting and full of grace and full of truth. And he was gentle, especially to those who were far from God. Do you know who he was the toughest on? The religious people. That's right. Specifically, the religious people who thought they were being godly by doing all the right things, and yet they had no love for other people. And so Jesus does not want us to be a hypocrite. Why? Because hypocrisy hides heaven. When someone sees us acting one way at church and then acting in a a different way somewhere else, they'll just say, look, it's just another hypocritical Christian. This is what they expect from us. Or if we post on social media like we're one of Jesus' 12 disciples and then in real life we're super mean and harsh with people or vice versa, maybe all you do is talk to people about how much God loves them and how you're learning so much in your quiet time and then on social media you're a troll. Like those two things don't go together. It looks very hypocritical. But whatever it is for us, we should not be hypocrites because when other people see us living in a hypocritical way, it's confusing. 
It's distracting and it's very unattractive because it's so deceptive. And all of these things put together hides the heaven that we're trying to bring. And so Jesus says in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, there are rewards for doing good and being like Jesus because your Father loves to reward your obedience. The thing that's tricky is we never know how. Sometimes we can see it, sometimes we don't. We know that we will be rewarded in heaven for eternity. That's guaranteed. But there are also rewards that we experience here on earth in the fruit of the Spirit, in growth, in maturity. And God, he can also bless you for your obedience, and he knows how to do it in a way that is going to be best for you. And that could look a lot of different ways, and a lot of times it doesn't look how we want it to. But that's part of the heavenly reality that we can experience here on earth. But it doesn't matter because hypocrisy hides heaven, so we can't be a hypocrite. Instead, Jesus is going to outline for us what I would call discrete disciplines of dependence that display heaven. Okay. That's alliteration, folks. Okay, they are, they are disciplines that are they're done in private, and they help us to better depend on God. So we're going to go through these, okay? We got to kind of go, got to go, kind of, kind of go, kind of quick. So here we go. The first one is this. Jesus is going to start off by talking about giving, talking about giving to the needy. He says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a pretty straightforward idea. Giving to the needy is a good thing, and it is a discipline that all followers of Jesus should practice because Jesus did it. But we don't do it so that people think, oh, look at him. What a good guy. My gosh, he's so, so generous. Wow, I, I want to be just like it. Look at, oh, look, he's giving me more. Oh, this is so. We don't do it to be noticed by other people, right? We, we do it in a secretive way, as secretive as possible, because we're not doing it for us. We're not doing it to get something from others. We're not doing it to get something from God. We're doing it because we know that all that we have is ultimately from God. And that he's given those things to us to steward back to him. And that, and that we, when we know that when we do that, it demonstrates our care for others because God cares for others and he cares for the needy. And because we are so thankful that God gave us the life of his son Jesus on the cross when he paid a debt that we could never pay for ourselves. That's why we give to the needy. It keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent. And it makes us more like Jesus. So that should be our motivation. The second thing is this, praying. Because so Jesus keeps going on, and he basically says, when you pray, don't do it in public so that people think you're the super godly person. But go into a room alone and lock the door so that you can pray in private. And when you're praying in private, you don't have to like say all these words over and over and over again and try and make your, your, your prayer super long and filled with all these verses. You don't have to do those things. A lot of times the pagans were doing those things and they were basically reciting these spells. That's not how praying works. When you go into a room and you're alone with God, free of distraction, you are just having a conversation 
with God. Just talk to him about whatever is on your heart. He wants to hear about it. And so then Jesus keeps going and he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this prayer has always been known as the Lord's Prayer. That's right, the Lord's Prayer. And you are welcome to pray this prayer word for word. A lot of you probably grew up doing that in churches and we still do that today. And that's a perfectly fine way to pray this. But notice that Jesus said, this is then how you should pray. The other way that can be said is, this is uh, the manner in which you should pray. And so what Jesus is actually doing is he is giving us this outline for how our prayers can look and sound. And so the order and in, in the sequence in which it comes is, is really helpful and it matters. So notice that Jesus starts off and he says, our Father in heaven. When you are praying, you are talking to your Father, your heavenly, your perfect Father in heaven. How does that work? Well, because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you are united to Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. And when you pray, your prayers go up to Jesus and he's our mediator to our heavenly father. And so then he then takes our prayers to the father. So I say all that because when we pray, it's a pretty powerful thing because the entire Trinity is involved in our prayers. And so you start to say, our Father. Why do you say our Father? Like, because you are talking to the Lord of the universe. This is a big deal, and he is powerful, and he can do what you ask of him. Now, as you start off with that, and that's why at the end, uh, what we usually close our prayers with is, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, right? Because in Jesus' name, Jesus is the mediator uh, of which our prayers get to the Father. But then it keeps going on, and it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see the kingdom of heaven. We want to see God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus brought. We want to see it come. Why? Because by God's will being done through us, we will begin to see heaven on earth. So then what's God's will? God's will is that he would be glorified, that we would rejoice, that we would pray, that we would give thanks, that we would be fully obedient to his commands. That we, would be, that we would strive to become more like Jesus every day. That's his will for your life and for mine. And if we see God do that through us, then we will see heaven on earth. But we should be praying this kind of a prayer every single day. And I love how uh, G.I. Packer says it. He said this, When I say, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, I should be adding in my mind the words, in and through me. It's a personal prayer. You are talking to God and you want to see him through the Holy Spirit work through you to bring his kingdom everywhere that you go. And it keeps going on. And he talks about, uh, give us today our daily bread. This is a recognition that God is the sole provider of your everyday needs, that he is there for you and that he cares for you and that he can provide for your life. Keeps going on, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. This is a way of confessing the sins that are a part of your life to God and asking him to help you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, and to help you persevere through those sins so that, you can become more and more sanctified so that you can become more and more holy. And then finally he says, and lead us not into temptation. Remember, God is never the one who is going to tempt you. That is what the enemy does. 
but God will allow you to be tempted to try and test you. Why? To build your strength, to build your endurance against sin because we are all susceptible to sin because of the flesh in our bodies. But here's the thing about God. He will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. And so you recognize that you need God's help every single day to beat the sin in our lives. So we humble ourselves and we acknowledge it. So that's how we should pray every single day. Now in the church right now, uh, we have, uh, we're celebrating our 25th year, but we had our 24th anniversary. And you may remember on the 24th anniversary, we all agreed to pray the 24 second prayer, which I'm sure you're all praying. Yeah, show of hands. Anyone doing that still? Well, if not, no, it's not too late to jump on board. Um, we pray at 10.23 a.m. and 10.23 p.m. for 24 seconds. Do I do that every single day? No, I don't, okay? I don't. I have it on my phone. I get the reminders and I do it when I can, okay? But I try to do it as best as I can. So here's the thing. This is the 24 second prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Break my heart for my community. Help me to love you and others as you have loved me. Make me more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's like whoever put that together was kind of like taking elements from the Lord's Prayer and putting in this, do we get that? Okay, great, it doesn't matter. Now, here we go. Point is, let's pray this together. It's a minute of your day and we can all be together doing it. It's a good thing. All right. Jesus keeps going, and now he's going to be talking about fasting. Talking about fasting, this is what Jesus says. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, fasting is something that we don't talk a lot about, and we don't really do it a lot either, but it is such an important discipline that has been modeled all throughout Scripture. Now, there are a couple of different kinds of ways of fasting, but the basic idea behind it as a discipline is that you are giving something up in your life. You are abstaining from something that you regularly depend on to give you life to devote extra time to God. A lot of times it's food, right? Maybe, maybe you fast from treats, from sugar, from like one meal a day, uh, or from food altogether for some decided amount of time, right? So, so that when you would usually take that time to eat, instead you use that time to pray. You could fast from social media, you could fast from TV, from video games, from secular music. There are so many things that you could abstain from for a time to make sure that you are not dependent upon those things for your life. That's what you're doing when you fast. You're saying, I recognize that ultimately God is my source of life, and I want to demonstrate that to God as well as to myself. And then you fill the time by leaning on God, because it's not easy. So you listen to worship, you, you get in the word more, you start praying, and the hope is that in doing that for three days, a week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe once a week, however much or however often you're doing it, that those disciplines become more habitual in your life. They become more habits. But again, you don't do it so people are like, wow, look at how disciplined this guy is. He's looking like he's really struggling. You must be fasting, aren't you? Wow, you're so good, man. I wish I could fast more. That's not what it's about, right? And so here's the thing. So when I was a sophomore in college, two sophomore in college stories back to back. I apologize, but it doesn't matter. So when I was a sophomore in college, it was January 2019. Julie and I went and visited her aunt down in Texas, and uh, her church was talking about fasting. I had never fasted before, so I thought I'd give it a try. Now, when they were fasting, they were all drinking this drink with like water and lemon and maple syrup and cayenne. It was disgusting, okay? Didn't help at all. Was supposed to help. Doesn't matter. 
So we're like, we're going to fast for three days. So we fasted for three days, drinking that drink. And like, we did it, and it was super hard. But everyone knew I was trying to do this. I mean, my parents knew, like she knew, her aunt. Like so many people knew that I was trying to fast. And so I was like, I feel like I'm really kind of missing the point of this whole thing. And so I made up my mind. I was like, I want to fast for seven days without anyone finding out. Now that's hard when you have a girlfriend who you don't keep any secrets from. So that's a hard thing to do. But... In February, she was going to be going on a mission trip to El Salvador. Shout out to El Salvador. They're gone this week. But she was going to be in El Salvador for a week without a phone. So I wouldn't have to tell her. And so I had it all planned out. I made a plan to do this fast, okay? And it was going to be only water. None of that other drinking. So water for seven days. So I did it. It was so hard. Holy moly. I mean, I, I had to preach that week, actually. I was still working out. I was trying to do everything in my life the way I would usually do it, just without food. And I'll tell you what, I have never thought about God more. I have never prayed more. I mean, I truthfully needed God to get through that week. And days three and four, those are tough. But uh, by the end, I was like, oh my goodness, God is so good. Like this really happened. And so I share that with you because it's not an easy thing to do, but it truthfully works in getting you to depend more on God. So I would encourage you this week, maybe for a day, maybe just you pick something that you'd like to, that you feel like you're pretty dependent on right now. You take it out of your life and you devote that time to God. So that's fasting. This next thing I talk about is called, Jesus talks about, that I, I call it storing. Okay, I didn't have a good like one word for it, so we're calling it storing. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So now Jesus moves on to people's things. Are we still with me? With Jesus' things. Okay, here's a question. Who loves their stuff? Anyone love their stuff? Yeah, come on. It's good. You can love your stuff. That's fine. As long as you love God more than your stuff. But here's what's kind of sad about our stuff. We think our stuff is awesome. Maybe you have a classic car. Maybe you have a nice fancy ornate armoire. Got a lot of armoire people out there. You don't know what that word means. And these things cost a lot of money. But that's fine because you'll have them forever. They last. Except one day, you're going to die. And, and that stuff that you love is going to get passed down to someone who really doesn't care about that stuff. And it's going to end up in the dumpster or on the side of the road or it's just going to rot away. And that's kind of sad because we would like for our stuff to last and then it doesn't. And we sacrificed a lot for our stuff. And then to think of how much we sacrificed for it for it to, for it to not last is kind of sad. But it's because our stuff doesn't have eternal value. What will you never see following a hearse? A U-Haul, you've heard that. If, you, if you've been around, you've heard that. A U-Haul, right? What's the idea behind that? You can't take it with you when you go, right? You can't take your stuff with you. So then why do we spend so much time, energy, money? And why do we sacrifice so many relationships, including our relationship with God, for our stuff? Jesus said, don't store up stuff on earth because it doesn't last. But instead, store up for yourself stuff in heaven. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. For where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does that mean? It means that whatever we are spending our money on, spending our time on, building our stuff up over, wherever we're spending our talents, our treasure, that is where our heart is going to be. And God just wants your heart. That's all he wants. 
He, he wants to be your first love, and that is how we are going to demonstrate our love. If you showed me your bank statement right now, I could tell you what you love, because it's a lot of times what you spend the most money on. And God is the only one who can give you an EROI. Do people know what an ROI is? Return on investment. Do you know what an EROI is? And an eternal return on investment. There you go, yes. So we want to invest in the kingdom of God, caring for the needy, caring for the poor, caring for uh, the oppressed, caring for the church. Because if you want to care about and love what God loves, where you spend your treasure will reflect that. And it will help you to love those things even more. Okay, now we have two do nots and I'm going to be done. I have more than that, but wow, I have too much. Okay, so here we go. Do not worry. That's easy to say. Now, why do we care so much about stuff and money? Because we feel like money will make life better, right? Why? Because we feel like money makes life easier, and it does to a degree. Paying bills is nice, and being able to feed your family is very important. And if we feel like we don't have enough money to provide for basic needs, what do we do? We worry. Money creates a lot of stress and a lot of worry in life, but so do a lot of things. We worry about our school, our kids. We worry about our job security, the government, inflation, what our parents think of us, how our kids are going to turn out, the price of gas, a harrowing medical diagnosis, a persistent medical issue, a struggling marriage, what think people think about us, or simply what the future holds. Folks, we worry about everything. We worry about so much in this life, and people only worry more and more the farther we get from God. So this is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life. Isn't that the question, Jesus? Can any of us add more time to our life by worrying? No, because what do we do? We spend time worrying. We spend a lot of time worrying. We spend a lot of time at night, in the car, at meals, at our desk, when we're alone. We spend it worrying, and it adds nothing but unhealth. And when we worry, really, we are questioning or doubting whether or not God is really there, whether or not he really sees me, cares about me, can provide for me, for my family. When we worry, we don't trust God. The birds, they don't worry. You never see a bird looking at a tree like, ah, oh, how am I going to get a nest up there? Right? It doesn't, oh, I'm really hungry. Where's this worm going to come from? They don't, God provides for the birds he loves you so much more than birds. He loves you unconditionally. You're his children. He wants to provide for you. So then what should we do? Jesus would say, but, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So instead of worrying, we trust God, and we follow the ways of life that he taught us to live in. We model our lives after Jesus, desiring to be submitted to God's will, and we watch as he provides for all of our needs. It doesn't mean that we don't work a job. It doesn't mean that we don't steward and manage our money and resources wisely. Jesus said to do those things, but we fight to not worry. We fight to trust God and to seek first his kingdom way of living. And if people are not living in this kingdom way, we don't point a finger and we don't get all judgy at everyone. We point the thumb 
and we ask God to show us how we aren't living in the kingdom. I learned this as a quarterback. You don't point the finger, you point the thumb. And you figure out what you did wrong, and you try to take some responsibility. And so this is what you say. He says, do not judge. Right? Jesus said, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? Kevin knows about that. In your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We need to stop finding faults with everyone in our life and blaming that on, on why we're so miserable all the time. A lot of time, we are the problem. We are the ones who are gossiping. We are the ones who are negative. We are the ones who are mean, in a bad mood, lacking grace, quick to get angry. We are. And Jesus is like, look, Y'all are always fault-finding and comparing to one another, and you all have sin you need to work on. Imagine if you were constantly trying to fight the sin in your life versus in the lives of everyone else when you have no control over those things. So how about you take the giant plank out of your head, and then we can start thinking about the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye. So let's not be a judgmental church. Let's be a church that's really hard to offend, irritate, and surprise because we realize we all have junk in our lives. And so let's help and serve one another, not rudely judge one another. I'm skipping two big sections because this is way too long. So that's okay. So, so finally to close, uh, we talked about this passage recently, okay? But, but here's what Jesus is going to say. Because this was a lot, of, a lot of stuff, right? This is a lot of teachings that Jesus gives us. And so this is what Jesus goes on to say. You got to go back and read chapter 7. Great chapter, okay? Uh, I skipped way too far. Here we go. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So you know what, Jesus, what made Jesus' teaching so amazing compared to the teachers of the law? When the Pharisees taught, they taught based on what they had heard from other Pharisees. When Jesus was teaching, he was teaching based on what God said in his word. His teaching was built on the truth of God's word, not on the interpretation of men. And here's what we know about storms in ancient Israel. They didn't happen a lot. They didn't. They, they would happen occasionally. But when they came, they came with a fury. And so you could chance it. You could take the easy way out. It was much more convenient to build your house on the sand. You probably had a better view, ocean view, right? It was, it was probably a lot easier to put the foundation in the sand than it was to like chisel out some rock and put a foundation in the rock. And so it was easier. So you could take your chance and you could build your house on the sand. But if that storm comes, all that you've sacrificed, all of your stuff that you've put in that house on the sand, it's just gonna be washed away and you'll be left with nothing. Or you can choose to build your house on the rock, the truth of God's word. Following Jesus will hardly ever be the easier option in life. Applying the things we talked about today, they will be hard. 
But doing so is like building our lives on the rock. It is building the life of our church on the rock, on a firm foundation of the truth of God's word and on the truth of living like Jesus, on becoming more holy. A lot of people in life, they just want to be happy. It's like, I just want to get through my life. I want it to be simple. I want it to be easy. I want to be able to smile. I want to be happy. And I like what Oswald Chambers says here. The destined end of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. So we as a church can be set apart to bring about God's purposes in the world, where we're not hypocrites who are hiding heaven, but we employ these discrete disciplines of dependence, giving, praying, fasting, not worrying, not judging, so that we actually display heaven on earth. And so to practice as a church today, here's what we're going to do. You ready for this? Action item. After service. You can go into the new building, okay? We have this square taped off. It's all cleaned off. It's shiny. It's nice. Caleb did a great job. And we have some Sharpies for you. And so you can take some Sharpies. If you've been here, you remember writing prayers on the floor of the lobby. We're going to go in there, and we're going to write prayers on that floor. Prayers that, that, that God brings to your heart. Maybe you pray about it right now, because we want to pray that God would build that house like he's built this one, that it would be a house built like heaven. But we need Jesus to be our leader. We need to depend on God in everything that we do. And we do that through giving, fasting, and prayer. Because I look at the world, and it is so desperate to experience heaven on earth. And we have the tools to build it right here, to build it at crossroads. But it's not going to work unless we all commit to using the tools that Jesus has given us to build it together. And you know what it's all held together by? Love. The love that Jesus demonstrated. So we're going to commit to loving God. We're going to commit to loving one another and those outside of this church. And we're going to see this house built like heaven. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, you are so good. Lord, we thank you for these tools, these disciplines that Jesus taught, God, that when we apply them in our lives, Lord, we begin to see in ourselves the heavenly realities that you brought down this earth come alive, that we see it all around us. Lord, that as we start giving to the needy, we start seeing more needy persons who are in need. God, that as we start praying, that we see how powerful your prayer is and that, that we crave it and desire it more. We see how faithful you are to prayer. God, that when we fast and we see what it's like to depend fully on you, God, that, God, that we become more dependent on you. God, that we stop judging others. God, that we stop worrying. Lord, let these be truths that mark our church, God, as we continue to try and build your house here at Crossroads like heaven. God, I pray that we would see heaven come down this earth. God, I pray that you would hold us together in your love. God, that we would see so many souls saved. God, that we would see you do incredible things through this church. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for what it does to make us more holy. God, that it sets us apart to be used by you. God, you are so good and we love you. We're thankful for you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand as we close in worship? Christ is my 